0: Amen. Well, for the last six weeks now, we have been looking at this series called Radicalis, which is that Latin word for from the roots. It has nothing to do with being radical and fanatical like a lot of people, but rather it has to do with sinking your roots down as deep as you can, becoming more and more spiritual. We're talking about not being shallow or selfish people, but being deeply rooted in the love of God. Now, in these last six weeks, we have talked about radical gratitude. We've talked about radical faith. We've talked about radical joy. We've talked about radical love. And last week was radical hope. Next week will be radical freedom. But today, radical generosity. And to start with, if you look at your message outline on the screen, you should see a passage from Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 24, As from the message translation. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Now, what is the writer of the Proverbs, probably Solomon, saying here? Well, he's saying that generosity is far more than uh, financial giving. It's learning to live generously as a lifestyle. Now, the Bible tells us that we are to be generous in every area of our life. And I don't want you to get all excited this morning and say, oh, well, pastors, we're going to preach about money today. No, not really. Not really. Because generosity has to do a whole lot more than just money. It's just being generous in our whole life, whether it be with our time, being generous with our praise, being generous with our sympathy, being generous with forgiveness, being generous with love, being generous with compliments, being generous with kindness, being generous in how we listen to other people. We are to be generous in not being judgmental. See, generosity is a lifestyle. It is living a life that is totally unselfish. It means that you're a giver and not just a taker. It's what God wants us to do. He wants us to live a life of radical generosity. So, two things this morning. First of all, I want to define, according to the Bible, what radical generosity really is. And number two, I want you to see the difference that being radically generous can make in your life. Now, in the same way we've looked, when we, when we looked at radical love, I told you that 1 Corinthians was a chapter you needed to read. It's all about love. When we talked about uh, faith, radical faith, I told you that Hebrews 11 was the chapter to read. Now, if we're going to talk about radical generosity... There are two chapters more than any other that you ought to look at and read and reread. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. These are chapters about radical generosity. In fact, in my Bible, right above chapter 8, it says, generosity encouraged. That's a good thing to remember. Now, what is radical generosity? Well, let me start you out with this definition of radical generosity. Radical generosity is an attitude, it's not an amount. You get that? It's an attitude, it's not an amount. God could care less, friends, how much money you put in the plate. God could really care less. What he really cares about is how you give it and why you give it. God cares about your motivation and not the amount. In fact, In 2 Corinthians 8, 12, it said, if you're really eager to give, that's attitude, it isn't important how much you're able to give. God wants you to give what you have, not what you don't have. All I'm saying is God looks at the why and the how you give, not the what. He's interested in what? He's interested in your heart. God does not need your money. God does not need my money. God doesn't need Bill Gates' money. I mean, because God is God with or without it. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need our talent. He doesn't need our sympathy. What he says he wants is your heart. Because where your heart is, guess what? All those other things are. Now, in this passage from 2 Corinthians 8-12, there are at least four attitudes that define radical generosity. And I think the best way to learn anything in life is to learn by a model. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us the example of some churches in Macedonia. And Macedonia is what we would call Greece today. Now Paul, being an apostle, had gone out and he'd started a bunch of churches. And when he left them, he wrote letters to them. Many of those letters you know. I mean, one city was called Philippi. And to them, he wrote what? The book of, or the letter to the Philippians. Another one was in Thessalonica. He wrote First and Second Thessalonians. Now he's writing some letters to Corinth. And that's a city in Greece. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background to what he's writing about here in, Corinth, in First Corinthians. Christians in Jerusalem, there was a church that was started on Pentecost. You all remember that? When the Holy Spirit came, tongues of fire on the head, people speaking in tongues, 3,000 people baptized and saved, all of that. Well, it was a big church, but it was an extremely poor church. It was suffering great financial hardship. So Paul wrote a letter to all of these other churches in Macedonia, and he said, let's gather a special offering, kind of like the offering we gathered last week for Haiti. And let's give it to these people were in the midst of their financial crisis and all of these churches in macedonia stepped up to the plate and they gave they gave generously in fact you might say they gave radically because if you heard what kevin read to you before they gave even beyond what they were able to do now paul is turning his attention to another church the corinthians church and he's saying to them how about you guys How about you? Well, you want to step up to the plate, too? Why don't you do the same thing? In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an example of how you ought to give. Let me tell you about these other Macedonian churches. That's what Paul is saying. He says in verses 1 and 2, We want you to know what God's grace has accomplished in the churches in Macedonia. They have been severely tested by the troubles they went through, but their joy is so great that they what? They were extremely... Generous in their giving, even though they themselves were desperately poor. Boy, hook those two together. Extremely generous, desperately poor. Doesn't seem like that ought to fit, does it? See, now here's the first attitude. Radical generosity is enjoyable. Do you know that? Giving away stuff is fun. Now, if you look at that verse, these Macedonian churches, they were desperately poor. They had their own set of problems. Ah, uh, you ever hear of a church like that? We ain't got nothing. We're so poor. We're as poor as church mice. I never knew mice carried a wallet or had credit cards, but I guess we're that poor. But notice, it didn't stop them from giving. It says they were extremely generous. They were practicing radical generosity. And it says they gave out a joy. Now, friends, I've got to tell you, unbelievers, people who are not Christ followers, do not understand church people who give to the church or give to the missions generously. You know, they just don't get it. Why would you be giving them all that money? You could be spending it on yourselves. And Christians kind of know, we kind of are. <laughs> we're, we're sending it on. We can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. Remember, Jesus himself one time said, "It's more. There's more happiness in giving than receiving. You know, more, more. It's better to give than to receive." You ever heard that one? Generally trotted out at Christmas time. Now, I admit that when I was a kid, growing up in Seward, Nebraska, I thought that was bogus. I thought that was an out-and-out lie. Christmas was all about me. What am I going to get? For Christmas, you ever done that one, Courtney? It's all about the courtster. No? I grew up, Courtney. Y'all been there. I'm just picking on Courtney. We've all been there. Hopefully, over the years, I've matured. Today, quite honestly, I don't care if I get anything. Christmas to me is really more today, and I think Nancy would, would join with, it's kind of more about giving to our kids or giving to our grandson and just seeing them enjoy it. See, the mark of maturity is when you kind of switch and you begin to understand that there really is more joy in giving it than getting it. Now, if I only enjoy getting it, it means that I haven't grown up yet. I'm still a, a selfish little baby. And it's not by accident, by the way, that the word miser and miserable come from the same word. There are people like that. I know people who could squeeze a nickel so hard they could make that Indian on the front cry. He squeezed pennies until Abraham Lincoln had tears in his eyes. Here's the second thing. Radical generosity is supernatural. Supernatural. Verse 3 says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, how is that possible? You see, natural giving, which is what many people practice, and I don't care whether it's money or time or talent or whatever it is, natural giving is giving what you think you're able to give. Supernatural giving is giving beyond your ability. Now, how do you do that? I'm going to give you a very simple little response. When you figure out why you want to give, God will always show you how to give. I'm going to say that again. When you figure out why you want to do it, why you want to give, God will always show you how to do it. He will always make a way. Here's the third thing about radical generosity. It is enthusiastic. That means we don't do it out of guilt or drudgery or sorrow. In fact, in verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about this model. He said, of their own free will, they begged us and pleaded for us, pleaded for the privilege of having a part in helping God's people in Judea. Mark, I I don't know, this will happen to you someday when you're a pastor. I've got to tell you, this has never happened to me yet. I've never yet had a congregation stand up and say, Pastor, Please, let us give more. Please, please, we beg you, pass the plates again. Never seen it. Never seen it. I have been in, in Nigeria, though, and watched people dance their offerings to the altar. That was cool. That was enthusiastic. Imagine dancing your, your offerings to the altar. They were happy about it. See, it says, with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is that Greek word, Enthios. In God, when you get in God, guess what? You jolly up, you get enthusiastic, you get excited about it. Are y'all excited? I heard one right there. Woo. Okay, Laura's kind of. Woo. <laughs> well, I know you're all Lutherans. You're excited on the inside. Fourth, radical generosity is a spiritual habit. Second Corinthians eight five says they gave in a way we did not expect. They gave themselves. First to the Lord and then to us. This is what God wants. You know, that's kind of interesting. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. I mean, first of all, to the Lord, what is it? That's salvation. Then they gave themselves to us. That's membership. You know, we're, going to, we're going to become Christian. Then we're going to find a church body. Those are two commitments that everybody really needs to make. Give yourself to the Lord. Become a part of a, a God-fearing, Bible-teaching, Bible-reading, Bible-loving Bible-believing church. And it becomes part of your spiritual maturity. We were kind of talking about that in adult Bible class this morning. It's a habit. It's a habit because I'm maturing. I get a little bit better at it all the time. It's a habit. It's good for my heart. I mean, every time I give, whether it be financially, or whether I give somebody of my time, or if I give somebody of my talent, if I kind of extend myself way above and beyond, my heart grows. Second Corinthians eight nineteen. your offering is a service that glorifies the Lord and shows your eagerness to help. And guess what? When, when you are radically generous with your life, all that's involved with your life, when you're radically generous, there's an amazing transformation that takes place in your life. Man, I have seen it time and time again. You know, Laura, we, you and I have had this conversation about people getting it, you know, where it kind of clicks. I've seen that time and time again in every church I've ever been at, that so, one day it's almost as if the light came on. And it was like, wow, this is real. This is the right stuff. This is Jesus. Oh, man, what can I do now in response? And suddenly they, they, they kind of run around, and they want to give of their time. They, they want to be helpful I mean, that's what happened. There's a transformational change that takes place in people's lives. In fact, there are five things. I'm not going to talk much about them, but let me give you the results of living with radical generosity. Here's the first one. It increases your love for Jesus. Very simply because giving is an an act of love. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, just as you excel in everything else, he said, you're really good at everything else, in faith and speech and knowledge, even in your love for us. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. Boy, have you ever thought about that? You know, when we take an offering this morning, for example, when we worship with our tithes and offering, that this is, we can excel in the grace of giving? And let's move beyond money. Excel in the grace of giving to other people. I mean, what do other people need? There are some people who just need to be listened to. There are some people who who just need a hug. There are some people who just need a hamburger, Jason. <laughs> a little bit of time. There are some people who just, you know, you, know, you, can, you, can, pick, you can pick them out. You know what they need. They just need a, a, cla- a, a, a little smack on the back. All they need is a nice little compliment. Sometimes they, you, know, you see that they've got some problems and you've got a little bit of you know, plumbing experience or carpentry experience, and you say, I can fix that. I can do that. I can help. You know, it's excelling in that grace of he said, I'm not." He said, I'm not commanding you. He said, because commanding is not what God wants. He just wants to test your sincerity. You say you love Him. Let's see some radical generosity here. See, every time you are generous with anything in your life, one, it proves your love for Jesus, and two, it strengthens your love for Jesus. I haven't seen this bumper sticker for a long time, but I, I, it was always kind of funny. It said, if you love Jesus, tithe, any fool can honk. <laughs> you know, that's true. It's saying, put your money where your mouth is. Put your treasure where your mouth is. Where your treasure is, guess what? Your heart's going to be there, too. Here's the second transformational thing. It makes me more like Jesus. Now, if you're going to call yourself a Christ follower or a christ that means you're going to become more and more like that person. And we all want to be more and more like Jesus, more and more like Christ. And so every time I give, in whatever way I choose to give, it breaks the grip of materialism in my life. We live in an extremely materialistic society. My aunt sent me a letter this last week. She went to something, a ladies' aid meeting at her church, where a young girl from Concordia University in Seward talked about her Christmas trip to Haiti and described what was going on in haiti and i 'm going to see that up close and personal about a little over two weeks from now. but the thing that stuck out was we ate a lot of rice and beans <laughs> now that 's pretty simple stuff uh you know and, and I think about that, and he said there 's hardly any roads at all, and everything 's damaged, and everything's poor you know and here Uh, You know, if we got anything that's damaged, we just toss it out and buy something new. I mean, most of us probably have more TVs in our house than we have people to watch them. A lot of people have more cars than they have people to drive them. Um, I seriously doubt that anybody here only owns one pair of shoes. You know, we kind of buy. We're kind of hooked on it. But every time we learn to give it away, give it away, give it away, it kind of breaks that grip of materialism. And every time I give, my heart grows a little bit bigger. And every time I give, I become a little bit more like Jesus. Now, who's the master of generosity? Well, we know it's Jesus, verse 9. You're familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. Jesus had it all. Son of God in heaven, all the splendor of heaven. And he comes to earth. At Christmas time, to be born in a barn inside somebody's house, that's about as low as you can go. I mean, the worst thing that could happen to Jesus was was to become human. Why did he do it? He didn't do it for himself. I mean, he even says says to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's another way, but he did it for you. He did it for me. He's the ultimate act of generosity. And if you think of all the attributes of God, I think the number one attribute ought to be, or at least pretty close to the top, would be generosity. Because you and I have absolutely nothing without the generosity of God. In fact, the Bible, with its, you know, over 3,000 or some promises, there are more promises in the Bible related to living a generous lifestyle than almost anything. Over and over again, God says that if you'll be generous with your time... If you'll be generous with your money, if you'll be generous with your life, if you'll be generous with your influence, whatever, I will bless you in this way or that way. Just the way it works. Now, why does God want us to be generous more than anything else? I'd say it's because it's most like God. You've heard, like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. You want to be like the father? Be generous. God's number one characteristic to me is that he's outrageously, lavishly, radically generous. God says, I didn't put you on this earth to be some selfish little creep. I put you on this earth to learn to be other people-centered, to be radically generous. Uh, I didn't put you on this earth to live for yourself. I made you to become like me to learn generosity. Here's number three. It deepens my faith. You know, following the message, today we're going to have an affirmation of faith. But every time you give, you also make an affirmation of faith as well. It's kind of like saying, "God, this is something I could use for myself, but I'm giving it away because I'll know I know you'll supply me with what I need, and I'm trusting you." I don't know how many times over the years where people will call on the phone and they say, "Pastor, I hate to bother you. I know you're really busy. You probably don't have the time." Well. Don't believe that lie. I'll always have the time you call. It'd be really rare when I'd say, you're right, click. But guess what? You know, if you give the time, you end up with time. God gives you back what you need. It just works that way. It demonstrates and develops faith. God, God's going to supply what you need. I'm going to trust. Now, here it says in the scripture, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Uh, For God loves a cheerful giver. Greek word, cheerful, hilaros. He loves a hilarious rolling in the aisles kind of giving. Now, we've got these screens hooked up today that when we take the offering, they're going to pan the congregation. As the plate comes by, we're going to flash up different faces up here and see what kind of givers you are. Not really. But wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be fun? It deepens my faith. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Yeah. I've lived in farming communities or around farming communities most of my life. I know that if a farmer sows a little seed, he gets a little crop. If he sows a lot of seed, he generally gets a pretty big crop. If he sows an enormous amount of seed, he gets an enormous crop. And when you sow, if you sow that one little wheat seed or that one little corn kernel, you don't just get back you know, one ear of corn that's got one kernel on it. You get a whole bunch more seeds. God always finds a way to multiply whatever it is you give him. He said, sow generously, you will reap generously. He said, in fact, it's kind of funny, he says, "You get to choose how much I will bless you. You give a teaspoon? I'll give you a teaspoon. You give me a tablespoon. Here comes a ta- tablespoon blood. You give me a cup, you get back a cup. You back up the truck. <laughs> I'll back up the truck. That's what happens. The more you give away, God says, the more I bless your life." Now how that works? I don't know. I'm not telling you give away a million dollars and God puts six million back in your bank account. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, you may contribute money to something and God may not bless you at all financially. He may just bless you with a contented heart. He may bless you with somebody who comes up to you and says, thank you, thank you. That'd be a great gift, wouldn't it? To have somebody come up in heaven someday and say, thanks. I'm here today because of you, because of your generosity. Now, he wants you to get this so bad that he actually said it five times in that verse. God is able to make all grace so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Man, you get that? You learn to be generous. God said, I'll take, all, I'll take care of all of your needs, all of the time, all of the way, every place, all the while, everywhere you could possibly think of. It's all, 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 all right there. Verses 10 and 11, God supplies seed to the farmer, bread to eat. In the same way, God will increase the things you do that heaven approves in your lives. He, God, will increase and multiply the things that you do that have his approval and you will be enriched so that you can even be more generous. So it increases my love for Jesus, makes me more like him, deepens my love. And number four, it causes other people to thank God. 2 Corinthians 9.12, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. For this service you perform not only meets the needs of God's people, but it also provides an outpouring of gratitude to God. See, in normal generosity, only the giver gets thanked. But in radical generosity, deep spiritual generosity, not only does the donor get thanked, but God gets thanked because of the donor. I've already gotten a thank you email from Pastor Mezador Ernst in Haiti. I mean, he's already sa- he said, thank you so much for coming. Now, he also knows that I'm going to be bringing some financial aid down there, some teaching, but he's already thanking in advance. But he's, he's, he's thanking me for coming, but he also adds, and God be praised. See, that's how it works. You're giving. We get thanked, but God also gets thanked because of what we do. Lord, I thank you for that person who helped meet my need. See, the miracle of offering, again, is not the amount. The miracle is what God does in your heart. It's the miracle of the testimony that it brings to the world. And here's number five. It honors God as a witness to the world. Verses 11 to 13. You will glorify God through this genuine act of service because of your commitment to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and because of your generosity. Friends, when you are willing... When you're committed to spreading the good news and also helping fund it, it glorifies God as a witness to the world. I want to end up today by just giving you a, a twofold challenge. A twofold challenge. Challenge number one is that you will learn to say and that you will learn to pray, Lord, I'm not going to be a shallow believer. That's my first challenge, that you would learn to say, I'm going to be a more spiritually mature man or woman of God. I'm going to be there. I'm going to grow. I'm going to sink down spiritual roots. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. That's challenge number one. Here's challenge number two, and that's that you start praying, God, help me to reach one more person for Jesus. God, help me to reach one more person for Jesus. I'm not saying pray for 20. I'm just saying pray for one. Pray for one. And friends, if you pray this, help me reach one person for Jesus. If you pray that prayer every day, God will answer that prayer. I guarantee he'll answer that prayer. If you pray that every day, Lord, put somebody in my path. Allow me some way to plant a seed somewhere. somewhere. Lord, that one person I've had on my heart for so long that I've wanted to bring to church, help me bring them here. Help me drag them here. You know, a lot of people say, hey, you want to come to church? They kind of go, no. You know, what I found occasionally works is when you say, we have church at 10 o'clock. What time can I pick you up? Uh, oh, uh, uh, 9.30, I guess. Maybe you got him. Maybe you got him there. And if you reach one more for Jesus, God answers that prayer. In fact, I, I just tell you, he's going to make it so easy. And at the end of the year, now, understand, it's not you who brings that person to Jesus. We understand that. We know it's the Holy Spirit who works in our heart but it's you playing a part in God's kingdom. Wouldn't it be great if there'd be one more person in heaven someday because you witnessed that you were radically generous with the gospel? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I want to thank you this morning for this church, for First Lutheran. And Father, I pray that you will bless every single man and woman here. Bless every couple. Bless every family. Bless every senior adult and every young child, and Lord, protect our people from evil, from discouragement, from depression, from disappointment. But most of all, I ask that you help them develop deep spiritual roots, that they'll grow closer and closer to you, finding the maturity and the stability so that nothing, no circumstance, no rogue wins, no economy, nothing takes away their joy. Nothing takes away their faith. Nothing can take away their love for you and others. And Father, I'd also ask that you would bless the jobs and the careers of every person here, and I pray that they will be successful, not for their own benefit, but so that they can bless the world. Enable them to help other people. And Father, protect their health and their minds and their emotions. Bless them spiritually with new insights, and bless them emotionally with joy and peace and love, and bless their relationships. Lord, we don't always know what your will is in any situation, but we do know that you've told us to ask. So on behalf of this people today, you have called me to serve. I'm asking you to meet their needs, to answer their prayers, to hear their requests. And Lord, I ask you to do this not because of me, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And thank you that he was a model of radical generosity for all of us, that we could never outgive you. In his name we pray. Amen.